First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, Welcome back to Geordie Films Class, where we teach classes about class films. Today, you've found us at a very strange time in our lives, where we're going to be talking about absolutely nothing at all. First rule aside, we can begin to explore the foundations of Marxist film theory, then spend the latter half of the podcast discussing how this explicitly relates to Fight Club. But first, a little on Marxism, introduced by a resident card-carrying communist. The capitalist mode of production can be defined in the most reductive way possible as one that is driven by the pursuit of profit. This is achieved through massive amounts of surplus wealth extraction. It is designed to exploit the labour value of the many and concentrate the wealth generated by that labour into the hands of the few. Many people argue with this framing, because when words like exploitation and extraction pop up, the legacy of incredibly effective propaganda campaigns like the Red Scares, McCarthyism and Cold War narratives have a tendency to panic even the most conscientious left-wing minds. But let me take a second to lay out some facts. Currently, 1% of the global population holds more wealth than the bottom 85% put together. We produce enough food to feed 10 billion people year-round, but 9 million people starve to death each year. That's 24,000 people per day. In the United States, the global superpower with a $2 trillion military budget in 2023 alone, 45,000 people die per year because they cannot afford healthcare. Capitalism is a destructive system predicated on the exploitation of human lives and appropriation of the natural world. But what on earth does this brief card-carrying commie rant have to do with film theory? Well, firstly, Marxist theory can provide a really useful lens through which to just watch films. So if I was to say that Shrek was Marxist, people would probably laugh, not the least because it's hard to believe that DreamWorks would willingly produce anti-capitalist propaganda for children. But through a Marxist lens, you can watch Shrek and realise that it becomes so something totally different. And this is because... We can take on Marxist ideas when we're asking ourselves questions related to why screenwriters choose certain themes, why directors choose certain shots, or why producers bankroll one project over another. And viewing film like this may lead us to questions like, does this film challenge the structures and institutions of capitalism? Does it criticise the apparatus of our exploitative economy? Does it present a wider message of revolution, overthrow, collective power? We can certainly see these messages in both classic and contemporary films, from Metropolis to I, Daniel Blake. Any media that makes a comment on the negative outcomes of our existing mode of economy can certainly be seen as having Marxist characteristics. However, on the other hand, it is important to consider how far this criticism can truly go. 
Firstly, a popular tradition in film theory and analysis places individual geniuses and auteurs at the helm of filmmaking. For example, Christopher Nolan is currently being painted as the genius behind and representative of the film Oppenheimer, and this tragically erases the fact that filmmaking is an inherently collective experience. Oppenheimer would not be what it is without the runners and grips and sparkies who work behind the scenes on low wages in order to make the production run. Another way that this criticism may not go as far as people might think is because philosophy is always born out of its own social situation. So it can certainly be said that filmmakers can provide a critique of the structure of the world we're living in. But seeing as film theory also looks to the production and distribution models of filmmaking, we must remember that most mainstream films are produced by major film companies for profit. Even when they're produced by individual filmmakers or are distributed by indie distribution companies, they're often done so with the idea of profit in mind. So when looking out for the Marxist elements of Fight Club and other films, and commentaries that they include regarding social institutions and capitalist oppression, we must also ask ourselves the following questions. Can film production both extend and challenge the capitalist mode of production? Would the ruling class truly betray their class interests by expressing a need for revolution to the very audience with the capacity and means to take them down? Or... Is it enough for them to give us a fictional character who lives in a fictional world with a worse social structure than our own? Show us a story of hope and revolution in which this character wins and dismantles the oppressive institutions of their world, all in the hopes that we, in the real world, in the audience, don't feel the need to do the same, that it satisfies those urges to take down the mode of economy and so that we will return to our nine-to-fives and forget that our choices are exactly the same, really. They're limited to work or starve. Ultimately, the antagonism between the ruling and working classes is the core of Marxist theory and these elements can certainly be seen in films. And this is to say that the owners of the means of production are always in conflict with those who own no capital and have to sell their labour for a wage. And because this can be seen in film production itself, the owners of studios take the profit, but the people who are on low wages and work behind the scenes, or the people who are on low wages and work as extras in front of the camera... That dichotomy exists within the production itself, which means that film can challenge the capitalist mode of production, but ultimately it is always going to extend it when it is produced under capitalism. Motherfucker! It hit me in the ear! Well, Jesus, I'm sorry. Why the ear, man? I fucked it up. This confusing impossibility between anti- and pro-capitalist sentiment, whilst also being shared amongst almost all films placed under the analytical lens of Marxist film theory, is an inherent attribute of Marxist philosophy in general. A persistence of contradiction in all engagements and investigations of the current capitalist mode of production. This underlying framework that underscores a great deal of Marxist theorizing is referred to as dialectics, which is defined by G.W.F. Hegel, himself a key influence on Marx's writing, as a method of the grasping of opposites in their unity, or of the positive in the negative. Put simply, this concept is described by Kornblue as a method of avowing and theorizing contradiction, and acknowledging opposing tendencies in a concrete situation, allowing contrasting possibilities to appear in hypotheses. Here, the emphasis is placed not on an object's decisive difference from everything else, but instead towards the relations and connections that provide context for the identity of the thing. In specific reference to Marxist film theory, 
We are discussing the contradiction between the film's anti-capitalist intentions and the pro-capitalist production and distribution. As identified, this concept of dialectics is present throughout many varying philosophies, but for our focus on Marxism, we can look simply to the contradictory promises of capitalism itself, the confusion found between its abstract message and its concrete realities. As Cornblow outlines them, Capitalism promises freedom, peasants liberated from the land, lords liberated from obligations to their vassals and serfs, workers liberated by machines, social relations liberated from fixed hierarchies of blood and tradition, opened to the floods of profit and professional. Though these capitalist contributing contradictions can manifest themselves in a variety of social elements throughout the makeup of life, cinema itself, as a subject we will interrogate, is a brilliantly rich medium to explore these contradictions, itself able to be read as a paradigmatic art form of global capitalism, and one that simultaneously points towards capitalism's unfulfilled promises of freedom and elective collectivity at the same time. It is a creative art form, those of which Marx champions as an essential component of human labour, which points to the capacity of creative works to reveal truths about work in general, one that, in the result of the crippling, demoralizing impact of the current capitalist system, is subsequently betrayed or alienated by modes of production that make physical survival dependent on wage compensation for work, denigrating individualistic imaginative passions in pursuit of personality lacking profit only. Moreover, as an imaginative endeavor, cinema specifically in its own modes of production are, in almost every example, and especially in its beginnings as a visually narrative, language-ignorant medium, not just theoretically international and integrative, but also functionally communal and collaborative, interested in championing and collecting the efforts of the whole and not the individual. Sergei Eisenstein highlights as much in his seminal essay, The Montage of Attractions, where he explains the montage, itself an assembly of different parts sutured together into a whole, with seams still apparent, and its importance in the creation of cinema as an art form that has the power to convey ideas through interrelated imagery, that is at once of a whole and contradictorily singular. A clear example of the dialectical idea and method of construction. Of course, a striking example of this can be seen in Eisenstein's own film, Battleship Potemkin, which famously uses montage to narratively connect the oppressive working conditions endured by sailors to their eventual revolt, as well as a visual connection and bond between both these revolting naval sailors and the people of Odessa, optimistically hoping to use montage to inspire similar enthusiasm for revolt among the spectators and audience who see the montage at work. Now, despite these origins of most film theory, grounded in both Marxist text and Marxist philosophical thinking, a modern shift has moved to focus primarily on new historicism, leaving Marxist exploration to the annals of history. This can be seen in the dearth of books exploring this topic alone. New historicism and other subsidiary forms of this theoretical trend, such as auto theory and apparatus theory, tend to homogenize film as a cultural practice into film as the expression of a genius or film as the workings of a machine, respectively. And whilst opening the way for film as a scholarly item to be taken seriously, relocates the root of its social power from the medium to a single individual, negating the communal and collaborative uniqueness it once held. Of course, Marxist philosophy can explore a variety of films with a variety of methods, but for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to explore both the narrative content, production context, and film form of Fight Club. Cornblue chooses to highlight three specific components that we'll further explore through this film, the mode of production, 
ideology, and mediation. What did you just say? What's wrong with you? What did you just call me? Say my name. Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden, you fucking freak. What's going on? I'm coming over. No, wait, there, Marla, I'm not there. You broke your promise. Jesus, Tyler. You fucking talked to her about me. Tyler, what the fuck is going on here? I ask you for one thing. One simple thing. Why do people think that I'm you? Answer me! For a brief exploration, the mode of production, of course, can refer to the context of the film and its creation, including the production details, funding, the distribution and audience response, but mostly refers to how the film itself, either in a literal sense within its own production, or a self-reflexive one within the narrative, engages with representations of the capitalist mode of production. This crosses over with the essence of a Marxist film's ideology, a term which has been colloquially defined as a scheme for politics, a set of committed beliefs about what should be done in society. However, for our exploration, we'll utilize the definition popularized by Althusser in his essay, Ideology and Ideological State Apparatuses, where he determines that the ideology refers not to the beliefs that attaches individuals to a particular mode of production, but the everyday habits, rituals, behaviors, and processes that keep the system going. It is no longer about consciousness and active political decision-making. The material practice of our everyday lives secures our capitalist reality by virtue of complacency. But how do these concepts find their representations in our society? Through mediation. Described as a bi-directional capacity of ideas, representations, and forms, put more simply, in Marxist theory, this refers to the various forms and mediums that these representations can take root in, whether that be films, books, or static art. Applying these three theoretical concepts and their veiled blossoming in Fight Club, we can see a clear engagement with this Marxist ideal through dialectical analysis of the film's narrative form and context. Firstly, why this film? Fight Club is a useful text for exploring these outlined Marxist concepts, the mode of production, ideology, and mediation, because it so vividly and pedagogically engages with economic relations, ideological distortion, and opportunities for transformation within its construction and content. Paradoxically, at the same time, it is also a very typical film in terms of the conditions of its production, its marketing, and its popularity, and thus strongly exemplifies that dialectical contradiction that can be found in all Marxist thought. This applies to the multifaceted and self-opposing narrative, which can be analysed as a symptomatic reproduction of its stage of global capitalism, as a diagnosis of that stage, and as a critical imaginative projection of stages to come. But also, as we will see, it applies to the form and context in the film's production that exhibit these traits of these three concepts of Marxist thought. We must apply these theoretical tenets of Marxism to explore how it mediates both the capitalist mode of production and ideology in its own unique and analytical way. Historically, formalism, the attention to the form of a film as determining its meaning, is often contrasted with contextualism, the attention to the conditions of production or the conditions of consumption as determining its meaning. Instead, Marxist film interpretation must do both of these things to avoid being reductive, to work dialectically, and to fulfill Marx's commitment to both social context and form when looking to the construction of a film's physical traits. Job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. Not the car you drive. 
Not the contents of your wallet. Not your fucking khakis. You're the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. So first, what is the context behind the film's production? Unsurprisingly, Fight Club, by virtue of its existence, is not an anti-capitalist film. Like all Hollywood productions, and almost all independent adventures too, its necessity for profit and creation in the larger Hollywood modern studio system outlines the contradictory nature of its intended messaging. Is the film hailing a niche market to sell resistance, thereby reabsorbing those who identify as oppositional back into the position of passive consumer supporting dominant relations? Or is it genuinely attempting to provide inspiring and informative representation that can foment alternative social practices and subsequently fuel struggles, as its explicit messaging may have you believe? Let's investigate. Following a 63 million production cost, the film went on to make a worldwide gross of around 101 million, which is surprisingly small for a Hollywood release at this scale. Even though the film was a relative financial failure upon release, in the preceding years, the film has widely gone on to achieve cult status, resulting in a great deal of home release purchases and subsequent dissemination of messaging by becoming a tactic of popular meaning-making, a map of social struggle, a prop for new affiliations, and reaching the wide home market behind the guise of iconicity and simple popularity. This, of course, is only a relatively new phenomenon. Crucially then, in the immediate sense of capital and profit generated, the film is staunchly pro-capitalist, and only continues further down this path as various home media releases and digital sales add to the overall profit. But of course, we are exploring the dialectical contradiction inherent in Marxist film theory, and whilst the film may exhibit the profit generation and high production costs of a pro-capitalist piece of media, the film's explicit intended messaging may betray an entirely contradictory intent. Cornblue, applying the foundations of Marxist film theory, helps us to interrogate the film's form, in tandem with the context we have determined, and analyse the way the film explores the mode of production, embattles ideology, and embodies mediation. The people I meet on each flight, they're single-serving friends. Between takeoff and landing, we have our time together, but that's all we get. Primarily, Fight Club tackles the mode of production throughout its narrative, tinged as it is with anti-capitalist sentiment and critiques of consumerism and deranged depictions of the class struggle. These themes of consumerism, alienation, corporate malfeasance and work struggles, though explored throughout the film, are not specific to the 1990s, but a recurrence across the centuries-long history of the capitalist mode of production. But Fight Club in particular is incredibly critical of the emptiness of the consumerist lifestyle peddled by corporate brands like Ikea and Starbucks. However, contradictingly, this outward critique is contrasted with the encouragement of these brands who must have paid to appear in the film and economically benefited simply as a result of their visual explicit inclusion. Likewise, the different classes are depicted in varying, contradictory ways outlined by Cornblue. Whilst the white-collar corporate sector is presented as deeply corrupt and hollow, nakedly calculating the limits to the value of human life, it is still populated with the workers ready to fight and rise against the sector. This pool of human resource is complemented by the representations of the service industry populated with intelligent, diligent, struggling people with great commonalities. Interestingly, 
the dominating force of modern society, which are the blue-collar professionals in government, policing and security, are portrayed as adhering to Marxist principles, ambivalently encompassing both enemies of Project Mayhem and allies, highlighting the contradiction that blue-collar workers are enforcers of the system they themselves fall under, which therefore makes them class traitors. It's worth noting that the film isn't entirely Marxist or even anti-capitalist in the messaging it's attempting to impart. Tyler's ideology, itself the main voice of the film, and critique of consumerist society is more connected to a romanticism of pre-capitalist modes of production. In Marxism, there is no freedom in a return to tribal or feudal modes of production. Instead, freedom consists in a mode of production yet to come. Deep space exploration ramps up, it'll be the corporations that name everything. The IBM Stellar Sphere, the Microsoft Galaxy, Planet Starbucks. Gonna need you out of town a little more this week. We got some red flags to cover. It must have been Tuesday. He was wearing his cornflower blue tie. You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise of a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. Similarly, the narrative itself also deals explicitly with ideology, interested in the formal workings of the concept by presenting the story of individuals estranged from their conditions of existence, who are nonetheless hindered in their efforts to do something new by their constrained imaginations, their cathexis to their charismatic leader, and his own estrangement from himself. Since we have identified through Althusser that ideology in the Marxist sense is about the actions taken and not the thoughts mused, we can understand that Fight Club is all about the realm of action in contrast with the thoughts mused. Cornblue uses the example of the narrator's workplace interactions, highlighting the contrast between the cinematic construction of his corporate exploration of outer space speech and the instructions imparted by his boss. Not only does the former employ voiceover narration, implying internal thoughts, dreamy computer-generated imagery, and vitriolic critique of consumerism's future, it stands in stark contrast to the actions undertaken by his character in the real world. He sits below his boss, conversates, and accepts the work he has given, all whilst belittling his vocational superior in the safe confines of his thoughts. Here, the narrator's listless accession to the rules of the game, the headless manager who earnestly enjoys, the spineless worker who readily obeys, guarantees this set of social relations will be held in place, and, contradictingly, like the difference between his thoughts and his literal actions, this sequence also highlights the illusory freedom of our cynicism in doing what we do but telling ourselves we object to it. The cycle continues, and as Althusser states, the system keeps going. Why would anyone possibly confuse you with me? I, I, I don't know. You got it. No. Do not fuck with us! Say it. Say it. Because we're the same person. Finally, we can see how Fight Club achieves a mediation of the capitalist mode of production of ideology through its form, boasted in six elements that Cornblue suggests actualize the film's critical representation of the capitalist and cinematic modes of production. Specifically, these six elements are cinematographic innovations, genre bending, intertextuality splicing, narration, and inconclusiveness. Whilst we cannot explore each of these individual elements, we can conclude that the overall style and construction of Fight Club's form is crucial to its mediation of the capitalist mode of production and ideology. In fact, the film is self-reflective of this importance, 
making many references to the medium of cinema itself, including film and the technologies that are responsible for producing the social order from which it descends. This can be in small ways with the fourth wall breaks, or in larger ways with the use of splicing and film editing as a major plot point and central trope. The references here make up the cinematic apparatus itself as an object of study, allowing spectators to think about the industrial construction of reality and the superstructure of late capitalism, and to think of the film as a large element of this superstructure, contributing to the capitalist machine in the small ways that the film's style and makeup contribute to its own greater whole. To conclude, as we've determined throughout, and quite clearly by now, film viewed through the lens of Marxist film theory is inherently contradictory. Any piece of cinematic media that attempts to interrogate or critique the capitalist mode of production is almost guaranteed to contribute to the capitalist mode of production itself, through its generation of profits and the reproduction of its cyclical nature. As a spectator even, the experience of enjoying a movie that appears to criticise dominant capitalist values can instead restore faith that we are freely choosing to participate in the capitalist mode of production, unintentionally reinforcing the ideology, actions, and state of consciousness that it supposedly pertains to alter, distractingly justifying the oppressive capitalist structure by showing that success is indeed possible for the oppressed class within it. Ideas and their mediating forms have power, but often they can both uphold the ruling classes and critique the ruling classes in equal part. Ultimately, as in Fight Club and in all other Marxist cinema, attempts to commercialise anti-commercialism and to market anti-capitalism are contradictory endeavours. And this dialectical, contradictory approach is inherent, and whether through the narrative, contextual or form-based analysis, necessary to consistently keep in mind when approaching films through Marxist film theory. Trust me. Everything's gonna be fine.